Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Started a new sermon series called Controversial Christ about two weeks ago. This is my first opportunity to begin to uh, teach on this particular subject. By way of introduction, which Roger has done a great job, but I, I just kind of want to flow into this with him. In our pluralistic, relativistic society, people don't seem to mind embracing some of the words of Jesus while rejecting others. Our culture, unfortunately, even in the church, treats Christ and his words like a hometown buffet. We kind of pick and choose only those words that taste good and place them on the plate of our lives for consumption. We kind of pass up those foods and those words that maybe don't look so good, don't smell so good, don't taste so good going down. But if we're going to truly follow Christ, we're going to have to fully trust his word. That means believing that every word Jesus has spoken can lead us to life and freedom, especially those words our flesh have a tendency to run away from and rebel against. I think that's worth repeating. We have to learn to trust Jesus and trust his word, especially those words our flesh has a tendency to run away from and rebel against. Amen. There's an old saying that was originally applied to journalism, but that had recently been applied to Christ and his words. And I love it. It says this, uh, Jesus, referring to Jesus, he comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable. In other words, not everything Jesus says to us is meant to make us feel good about ourselves. But what he does say, no matter what he says, always possesses life-giving, sin-forgiving power. And so let's pray again. And let's get into the word. Father, you speak. Holy Spirit, you illuminate your word in every heart and mind in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's controversy may not be hard to swallow like hating your family or violence in the kingdom. I thank God Roger got those two. Amen. <laughs> as soon as Roger can say, Roger, you get those two. And I'm just going to creep right past that because those are very difficult passages to preach and very difficult passages to swallow. Hate your family, violence in the kingdom. But uh, I know that you are in capable hands. Uh, when Roger preaches. So today's controversy may not be hard to swallow, but it is theologically difficult to understand. So much so that many have stumbled over it and even fallen into heresy trying to comprehend it. So if you're taking notes today, I'm going to divide the message this morning into three sections. Uh, when it comes to Christ, or when it comes to specifically the return of Christ... When he will come back, when it comes to the specific day and hour of his return, here it is. Number one, nobody knows. Number two, not even the son knows. And finally, number three, therefore, you and I must be ready. So without further ado, let's jump into Matthew 24, verse 36. 
We'll have it for you here on the screen as well. It says this, and uh, again, before I get into this, I want to apologize now to any end-time junkies. You have any end-time junkies in the building? Y'all know what an end-time junkie is. You know it's that guy or that lady that talks way too much about the end times? I mean, everyone's the Antichrist. For like the last 10 presidents have been the Antichrist. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all be diving into the scriptures and be, you, know, you guys know what I'm talking about, end time junkies. I want to apologize to you. Matthew 24 definitely talks about some end time things. We don't have time today to get so much into that, uh, but I do want to get to the point at hand. Referring to his second coming, Jesus says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Now, keep your finger there, but here's what I want to say. Despite Jesus' very clear words, many have tried in the past, and many will continue to try in the future to predict his return. So to prove this, I thought I'd start off with a little illustration with what I would probably call my top five failed predictions. My top five failed second coming predictions. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. Number five, just kidding. Number five, in 1980, I'm sorry, in 1891, Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, claimed he had a conversation with God in 1839 and that God told him Jesus would return to earth within 56 years of that conversation. Now, obviously, the prediction didn't come true, but Mormonism s- survived that black eye. Number four, in 1914, this time it was the Jehovah's Witnesses who predicted Christ's return. But of course, when this prediction failed, they changed it to mean he was just invisibly reigning. He was invisibly reigning. That, that can work. Number three, this one's going to be fun, amen? The prophet Hen, not to be confused with Benny Hen, the prosperity preacher, but quite literally a chicken prophet, in 1806 began to lay eggs, seriously, began to lay eggs, and with those eggs, there was a message inscribed in the eggs that said, Christ is coming. Large numbers of people flocked. See what I did there? Flocked. Large numbers of people. Come on, y'all. Flock. It's Mother's Day. Some of y'all, man, aren't you supposed to be preaching on something sweet for the moms? No, we're not. <laughs> but this is about as sweet as it's going to get. Large numbers of people flocked to Leeds, England to see the prophetic chicken lay them prophetic eggs. Of course, it was later revealed to be a hoax. Apparently, the owner would, in whatever he did with whatever type of ink, would actually do the inscribing, and then he'd put them back into that poor hen's body. Unbelievable. It's abuse. Number two. Number two. Now... You thought that one was pretty wacky, which it was. These two kind of are in the wacky sphere. Um, I'm not sure if this beats Prophet Hen, 
but uh, a Taiwanese religious leader named Han Ming Chen established a movement that incorporated Christianity, Buddhism, Taiwanese folk religion, and wait for it, you ready? UFO conspiracy theories. Somebody like that. Now, not only did he predict the return of Jesus Christ, but he also predicted that one week prior to Christ's return, which was May 25th, 1988, Jesus would appear on American television, specifically Channel 18, to make an announcement. And if you grew up with the television that I had, you probably didn't get that channel, so you were messed up. You know those little click channels? Yeah. We got 44 and 36. That was it, man. That was cable for me. 44 and 36, y'all. Anybody know what a 44 to 36 is? All right. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. All my friends had cable. Marv, my best friend growing up, sneaked to his house. He wasn't even home. I was just watching cable. You don't know it. In fact, hey, bro, just telling you right now, I was, I was in your house several times. <laughs> Trying to kick me out. <laughs> okay, this is not the sermon. I need to get stick back to this. I don't have a lot of time. Not to be, eventually we know that that prediction failed. So not to be outdone, he decided to kind of lift the ante up a little bit, I guess. And he, he started a, another next level prophecy. This time he predicted demon spirits and a worldwide flood would wipe out the majority of the human race. Now here's the key. Only those followers who had purchased spaceships disguised as clouds, would be saved. So I don't know if he was like slinging clouds, telling them that's a spaceship right there, but nonetheless, that's what happened. Number one. Now, up to this point, it's all been fun and games, but can we get a little sobering here for number one? Um, There's actually a few reasons why this made my number one list. First, number one, it's close to home. Um, This man's ministry was based in Oakland, California. Um, Number two, it's recent. In fact, this man's most prolific prediction of Christ's return was supposed to happen May 11th, 2012. And lastly, and perhaps like I said, the most sobering, this man at some point in his life was a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet he deceived many Christians when he began to predict Christ's return. Can I just say this? Even so-called mature Christians are not immune to being deceived. Harold Camping wrote a book in 92 titled 1994 that predicted the return of Christ that year. When this prediction failed, he recalculated it and ultimately came out with May 11, 2012. Now, according to his interpretation of biblical numerology, that was exactly 7,000 years after Noah's flood. Now, again, like many of these predictions, multiple people bought in, they joined the cause, sold everything, and many of them were devastated and hurt by the spiritual manipulation when that event didn't occur. Now, I have to address this, y'all. There are too many conspiracy theory Christians And I know there's some of y'all in the room. There are too many conspiracy theory Christians who'd rather trace fantasy than be faithful to the gospel of the scriptures. 
Listen, most of these so-called prophecies are extra biblical, meaning they are not inspired. They are not led by the spirit from scripture, but they're speculation of sinful men and women who have somehow become bored with the gospel and addicted to the fantastic. Leave the sci-fi to Scientology. And but when I think about it, what can be more fantastic than the gospel? What could be more fascinating than the gospel? So here's my best pastoral advice. Some of you might be already turning me off, but here's my best pastoral advice. You ready for this? Study scripture. Believe the gospel. Glorify Christ. And stop looking to YouTube for revelation. Amen? Jesus said, no one, what? Knows. Amen. Let's continue in this same verse. Verse 36. But concerning, this is Jesus speaking, concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. Are you ready for this? Jesus then says, nor the Son, referring to himself, but the Father only. Again, we'll stop right there. Jesus goes from no man knowing to now saying, I don't even know. Wait a minute. There's a problem. There's a controversy here. And this brings us to today's controversial statement. If Jesus is God... And if God is all-knowing, then how could Jesus not know? Did the New Testament writers get it wrong? Did they make Jesus out to be something he was really not? Now, the answer to this very difficult question can be found in what theologians call the hypostatic union. Now, we're going to go to school just for a minute, okay? So if you like to go to school... This is your time. If you don't like to go to school, do your best. Stay awake here. It'll be good to your soul. Let me do my best to break this down carefully. Because like I said earlier, I want to be confident, but I got to be careful because this has stumbled a lot of people. So here is my breakdown for you this morning. The pre-incarnate son, not reincarnate the pre-incarnate son, before he took on flesh, has eternally existed with a divine nature. Once the son was incarnate, not reincarnate, incarnate, once the son was incarnate, in other words, once he put on flesh, he then took on a human nature. Y'all with me? This is important. In taking on a human nature, He didn't cease to be God, but he also retained his divine nature as well. Now, this is key. Both natures coexisted in one person. That's big. Both natures coexisted in one person, the Theoanthropos, or God-man, Jesus Christ. You follow? Connect leads, I know you're nervous. We bless you. You're going to do your best this week, and we're behind you. Amen? Now, here are three important things I need you to remember regarding the mystery of this union because, boy, is it a mystery. Number one, 
the natures, human nature, divine nature, the natures, they did not blend. They did not mix. They did not combine. If they did, Jesus would be something other than God. He'd be this third kind of being. Number two, both natures located in that one person retained all of their attributes. So Jesus was divine in nature, he was 100% God, and Jesus was human nature, was 100% man. It wasn't 50-50, it wasn't 60-40. This was Jesus literally fully God, fully man. You with me? Number three, why? Why? Why is this doctrine so important? Some of you guys, I hate, I don't need, just love Jesus. Why, why do we need doctrine, Pastor Phil? Why are you so concerned? Let me tell you this. Because... If Jesus was not fully God and fully man, he would not be qualified to save us. And we'd be teaching another Jesus. What do I mean by that? If he had not been fully man, amen? If he had not been fully man, he could not have been able to die in our place as our adequate substitutes. If he had not been fully God, he could not have accessed the power to overcome sin and the grave. Listen, if anyone adds or takes away from this doctrine, they are guilty of proclaiming another Christ, one who does not have the power to save. This brings us back to the original question. I hope I'm not losing you. If Jesus is truly God, then how could he not know? Well, when Jesus assumed a human nature, you ready? He also voluntarily, key, voluntarily restricted some of the attributes of his divine nature. In other words, Jesus restricted some of his divine attributes by voluntarily submitting them under the will of the Father while on the earth. This is why... We see Jesus getting hungry, y'all. He don't, God don't get hungry. He's thirsty. And I mean that as in drinking water. Because God don't get thirsty or thirsty. He's tired. He needs to rest. This is why Jesus even dies. Luke tells us that he had to, what, grow in wisdom. You know, he had to learn to walk. He didn't just come out walking. <laughs> Mom, I got this. He didn't just come out talking. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to go potty, amen? Uh, my son is still learning to go potty. He, Jesus had to learn to go potty. <laughs> Jesus went to school. And, 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 you know, you might think he went to school and just said, hey, sit down, teach. I got this. Let me tell you everything there is. No, he learned. All signs of his humanity, amen? Yeah. Yet even though his humanity veiled his divinity and even though we saw his humanity we also see glimpses of his divinity as well i love how pastor jd greer puts this because he was the son of man he got hungry because he was the son of god he multiplied bread because he was the son of man he got thirsty but because he was the son of god he turned water into wine 
Because he was the son of man, he could die. But because he was the son of God, death had no power over him. Because he was the son of man, he did not know the day or the time of his return. But because he was the son of God, he could assure us that he would indeed return one day in power and glory. Now, just to mess with your heads this morning, I put this next section in here. Just to blow your mind a little bit. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this about Jesus. Ready? Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And here it is. And he, ready, upholds the universe by the power of his word. You ready to be mind blown? Here it is. While Jesus was hungry, he was also holding up the universe with the power of his word. While Jesus was thirsty and tired, he was also holding up the universe by the power of his word. While Jesus was crying as a baby in the manger, he was still holding up the universe by the power of his word. And while he was dead in the grave on the second day, he was still holding up the universe by the power of his word. Although Jesus for a time voluntarily restrained his divine nature, his divine nature was still bigger than his human nature and could not be trapped by it. Now, for some of you, probably not enough, but that's about as far as we're going to go. Again, this is a mystery, and the human language and the human understanding and the human experience can't really go too far beyond its limitations. I love it how God just said, and now faith. I'll be logical. My word will be beautiful. I'm not asking you to be unintelligent to serve me. But I am asking that faith will take you the rest of the way because faith is what indicates sincere relationship. It's trust. At some point, I have to have faith that my wife and I are going to stay together, even though I can't logically explain how it could happen. But at some point, I have to have faith and trusting and knowing. Amen? Faith. Now that we've resolved the theological controversy... I want to spend the rest of our time together considering the actual point of the text. We could stop right there, call that the controversial Christ series and move on, but there's a point to this text. You see, nobody knows, nobody knows because the second coming of Jesus Christ has been purposefully designed by the will of God to be a sudden and unexpected event. Now, why would he purposefully design the second coming of Christ to be a sudden and unexpected event? You see, it's in the unexpected where our faithfulness is tested, and it's in the unexpected where our hearts get exposed. As a result, the point of the text then is to call all followers of Christ who trust in his word into a perpetual state of readiness as if Jesus Christ could come back tonight. Listen to the words of Jesus in verse 37, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 44. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay woke, (laughs) stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour or a day you do not expect. We don't know when, but we do know what. Jesus compares those last days to the days of Noah. In other words, it'll be business as usual, party as usual. But there also will be a delay. Let me explain this. Did you know? That from the moment in Genesis that God first pronounced judgment over mankind to the day that it actually began to rain, it was around 120 years. Right? Poor Evan Baxter. No? All right. You know Evan Baxter is. Anybody know Evan Baxter? Okay, going to move forward. Noah must have looked like a lunatic. Not only was he building something nobody had ever seen, (laughs) a what? But he was preparing for something that never happened. In the same way, Christ's return delays. Yet, unlike those who reject his coming, followers of Christ, like Noah, must live in a perpetual state of readiness no matter how foreign and how funny it looks to the rest of the world. The ark wasn't built in one day. wasn't built over a weekend. Noah had to prepare. Noah had to, and, he, and Noah's preparation was the building process of the thing that would save him, all right? The ark. So, what does perpetual readiness look like in the life of a believer? What does perpetual readiness look like in the life of a true disciple of Christ? Three things. Three things. Number one, a disciple of Christ stays awake. Just write that down. If you're writing notes, a disciple of Christ stays awake. How do I stay awake? Are you ready? By remaining confident in the second coming. You stay awake by remaining confident in the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, over the years, I've witnessed a very unfortunate thing. There is an entire generation of regular church-attending Christians who have spiritually fallen asleep to the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you're in this room. I know who you are. Because I see how you live your life. I see what you talk about. I see your priorities. And I can tell that the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ is not on the forefront of your minds. 
And because Christ has determined to delay, you have decided to become comfortable and complacent. Happy Mother's Day. Now, we used to make fun of churches, y'all, back in the day, and I used to, because we used to be, sometimes some of us were part of some churches that were like this, and maybe just talked about the second coming a little too much. Anybody been there? Can you remember being in the movies, afraid, watching a rated R movie? Oh, that's so legalistic now. But back in the day, you went to a movie, sorry, mom, uh, we went to a movie, rated R movie, snuck out. And we were afraid, man, if Jesus comes back while watching this particular show, he's going to cast me into the eternal lake of fire. I'm going to hell for watching Independence Day. But I wanted to see Will, man. I loved Will Smith. Let's pray for Will. Amen. I believe him and Jada could be redeemed. I can also remember going home and checking the bedroom. To make sure that the rapture didn't happen. Anybody ever do that? Any kids born and raised in church? Sorry, Dad, I didn't look for you. I looked for Mom. Sorry, Dad. If my mom wasn't there, my dad was there, I'd be nervous. Because it can go either way, Pops. It's not Father's Day. It's Mother's Day. My poppy loves the Lord. My poppy loves the Lord, y'all. My pops loves the Lord. But I had to look for Mama, Pop, Mama Patty's bed because if Mama Patty was there, I was good. Amen. Now they got cameras for kids. We just put a camera in my mom's room. Just look. Well, maybe not. But I'm, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm getting in trouble. I'm getting in trouble. I'm getting in trouble. It's 1116, Phil. Yeah. And although some of this can become legalistic and uptight, I get that, guys. I get it. I get it. There's something to be said about a church and about a people who live in a healthy understanding of the coming of Jesus Christ, a perpetual readiness. I wonder how much your attitude towards sin would change if you knew Christ's coming was imminent. I wonder what adjustments you would make to your life right now if you knew Christ's coming was imminent. You see, when you begin to understand that the Lord is at hand, it transforms the way you live. It transforms the way you look at sin. Number two, a disciple of Christ is not only to stay awake, but they're also to get to work. <laughs> they're also always to carry a sense of missional urgency in their lives. I wonder... If you knew Christ's coming was imminent, how would you rearrange your priorities? What would your calendar begin to look like if the coming of Christ was imminent and you knew? Seatbelts on, y'all. Here it comes. You see, sin has made me and you so self-centered. We can become so wrapped up in our own lives and bucket lists. That the mission of God becomes the last thing we want to do and the first thing we X off our list. Breaks my heart. We're so consumed by entertainments, vacations, and hobbies. We make much time and spend and blow much money joyfully on these things but have little time and little money to invest in the kingdom of God. 
I wonder how your life would change. I wonder how your priorities would change. I wonder how you would begin to think if you knew that the coming of Christ was imminent. They used to get us jocks. Any jocks in here? They used to get us all the time. Oh, you don't do, you, for the 49ers, you get all crazy, but you can't praise the Lord, right? You'll go to a game, you'll get up at 7 a.m. to tailgate, but you can't come to church on time. They used to get us all the time, jocks. And you know what? I would get angry, but it was true. But then they came out with comic book movies. So nerds, I get to get you back now. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, the Avengers. Woo! Can't wait for it. Post it. Got to be there. Going to be there early. Let's put a list of rules. Here's what you can't do when you watch the Avengers. I know, right? I'm, I'm, hey, y'all know I'm wounded. <laughs> they used to do this to me all the time with football. <clears throat> I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we were so fascinated with the word, so in love with the gospel. If we, the coming of Christ was so imminent. I wonder how our priorities would change, how our passions would change, how our excitement would change. And I get it, there's a delay, y'all. I get it, I get it, there's a delay, there's a delay. But can I just say this? We're too busy to serve, amen? We're too busy to serve. Too scared to share the gospel. Too tired to pray. And I promise you, I'm not a legalistic Nazi. I just took a 10-day vacation to, to Atlanta, okay? Like, I, it's vacation, hobby, enjoy it, I get it. I'm not trying to go there, but, I, but there's a bit inside of me that's concerned. I'm concerned as a pastor. I'm concerned. And I, and I battle internally. I don't want to be legalistic, Phil. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But at the same time, there are patterns that I'm seeing, man, that frustrate me. And then I had to put it in the hands of Jesus because Jesus says, you better stop because you're the same way. But I fear, right, if I'm not up front with you, many of you, are gonna live your life in a false sense of security until the day you die or until the day Jesus comes back. Let me put it in terms our culture can understand. We work hard now so that maybe we can retire early, amen? In the same way, eternity is retirement, but now it's time to work, amen? Number three, finally, finally. I know I got the keyboards up here already. Finally, number three. The ultimate and primary way to prepare yourself for the second coming of Jesus Christ is simply this. Repent and believe the gospel. Scratch everything I just said. Maybe I offended you. Here's the one thing. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Again, listen to Jesus' words. I'm going to read verse 45 through 51. It says this. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect. And this might be another controversial statement right here. Are you ready? And at an hour he does not know, 
and will cut them in pieces, put them with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, that's a deep parable. It's an undeniable fact. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, the question is, will he find you a faithful and wise servant? Or will he find you becoming comfortable with sin and taking advantage of his delay? Today's the day, y'all. Ready? Today is the day to go from wicked to faithful. So that when you leave this place today, you can be secure if Christ come back tonight. As we conclude, I want to pray. I want to pray for two kinds of people in this room. Number one, those who don't know Jesus. I want to pray that you would just simply trust in the gospel. Okay? You would trust in the gospel. And I'll explain what that is. Number two, maybe those of you in here who know Jesus, but you're feeling really condemned right now. You're feeling really beat up by this sermon right now. Right? Here's what I want to say is trust in the gospel. The gospel is here. It's medicine. You see, the law will condemn you. The law will cause you to see all of your sins. The law will expose you. You'll feel shame and guilt about the law, but then the gospel will come in. The gospel will come in. The gospel will come in. So let me explain the gospel. Based on this last parable, let me switch it up for you to explain the gospel. Here it is. We are all wicked servants. Let's just agree with it right now. Everyone in this room, something hit you in here. We're all wicked servants. We all rebel against God's word. Amen? There are things in our lives that we have prioritized over God. I am the chief among these. Nobody in here can walk out of here and say I'm exempt. We're all wicked servants and rebels against God. We all deserve his wrath. In fact, when Jesus comes back, we deserve the wrath of God at his coming. Because of our sin, because of our selfishness. Yet, but God himself in Christ Jesus came down to this earth and he lived the life that we should have lived. He lived the life of the faithful servant. He lived the life that we couldn't live, but he lived it for us. But that's not it. Because not only did he live the faithful life that we couldn't live, that we can't live, and he lived it for us, but then he was crucified on a cross. The Father turned his back on him, and Jesus took on punishment as if he was a criminal. He lived the faithful life that you and I struggle to live. And then he took on the full wrath of God that you and I deserve to have. So that now in this room, as we're feeling a little condemned because we've all fallen short, we are given the beauty of the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. What is the good news? The good news is even today, if you find yourself a failure, Christ succeeded. And even though today, if you find yourself as a person who is no doubt deserving of his wrath, Christ on the cross took the full wrath for you. So what's the remedy? Repent. 
Repent. Repent. Simply say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short. You know the thing about repentance, though? It's not just an apology, but it's acknowledgement that my behavior needs to change. Repent. Number two, believe the good news. Believe in Christ that this has been done for you. And if you do that, everything else will flow out of that. It's not obey, and then you're accepted. It's you're accepted, therefore you will obey. Amen? Amen? So here's what I'm going to pray. But as I pray, I'm going to apply the, the bomb, the healing bomb of the gospel to your life right now. Because I know that this message could have cut a little bit. But the good news of the gospel is available for you. Every head bowed. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, you're wonderful. Jesus, I am unworthy. I live my life continually. I look more like the wicked servant than I do the faithful servant. I know without a shadow of a doubt, I prioritize so many things over you. But I'm just going to dwell on your gospel. Thank you. I'm so undeserving. I'm so unworthy. You died and you rose and you lived a faithful life. And if I would just repent and believe the gospel in Christ, I would have an inheritance. Now when the Father looks down at me in Christ, he sees me as faithful. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Christ Jesus today, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do what no one else could do, what no altar call could do. What no raising of the hand would do. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would compel people to repent and believe the gospel right where you're at. I'm a sinner. I don't know this 100%, but I do know the good news, and I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. You're so good to me. And secondly, Lord, I lift up those in this room who know the gospel, those in this room who believe they are followers of Christ but feel like they have just fallen short of everything in this message. I pray that they would believe the gospel. And I pray that they would understand the reason why they're falling short is because they're trying to do the work without first believing the gospel. May we never confuse that. So Lord, I'm just so thankful. I pray a blessing on everyone here. May we walk out of this room secure on Mother's Day that Jesus, even if you came back tonight, we would be with you. We love you. You're worthy and you're worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Enjoy this Sunday with your mother. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspiredchurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspiredchurches.com for more information.